It's great to be here. What a privilege. It's good to, well, surprising. So many people came back after last time. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but this week I've been really um, touched by the, the floods that have been happening and all of the devastation. I mean, Dingo, my flatmate, where is he? He's around here somewhere. Dave Elsing and I have been glued to the television screen, you know, watching as another meter goes up, um, as houses are flooded, as they find more dead bodies. And I have a friend from college who lives in Toowoomba, and he was sharing that for three days he was separated from his wife and his kids. Can you imagine that? Three days not knowing, not knowing whether your family's okay. And praise the Lord, they're okay. But I think what's been going on in, the, in Australia at the moment is really appropriate in the sense that the Lord has uh, provided a really appropriate psalm to deal with that. We'll be looking today at Psalm 103. And I think Psalm 103 has a lot to say about um, the situation that's been happening. And I really love this psalm. I love this psalm a lot. It, it's by King David. It is a psalm that is full of grace. But, but more than that, it explains how we can give praise to God even when we don't feel like it. So if you've got your Bibles there with you, why don't you open up to Psalm 103 and we'll read together. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, 
the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Won't you pray with me? Lord, compassionate Father, you have been so kind to us. You have been so merciful and gracious to us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for sending your precious Son for us, Lord, for not treating us as we deserve. Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts and our minds to focus on you this day, to see you for who you are, that you are great and worthy to be praised. I pray that you would anoint my lips, Lord, that you would be kind to me and help me to speak your word faithfully, Lord. And I pray that you would send your spirit amongst us to cut us to the heart, Lord, that we might be a thankful people, Lord, that we might grow in thankfulness and praise to you because you are great and worthy of our praise. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Do you ever feel like you just can't praise God? Do you ever feel like you just don't want to praise God? I know I do. Sometimes standing in church, looking around at other people and just feeling cold in my heart and I just can't get the words out of my mouth. I just, I'm distracted. I'm, 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 I just don't feel like praising the Lord. In this psalm, David really helps us with this. He really helps us to understand that God is worthy of praise, even when our hearts don't desire to give it to him. And if there's one thing that you take away from this message today, I want it to be this. That even when we don't feel like praising God, God remains great and worthy of our praises. Read with me verse 1. Bless or praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I want us to just notice for a second who this psalm is addressed to. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David in this psalm is preaching to himself. It's almost as if he's saying, Bless the Lord. It's almost as if he's saying, Come on, soul. Bless the Lord. Come on, soul. Give praises to God. Come on, soul. Don't be downcast. Cast your eyes on the Lord. And that is really the heart of this psalm. This psalm begins with David calling himself to praise the Lord, and it ends with David calling himself to praise the Lord. But if we consider this for a minute, why? Why would David need to exhort himself to give thanks to God? Why would he need to command his soul to bless the Lord? And the answer could only be that his soul is not inclined to praise, to, to, to bless the Lord, that he does not naturally feel like giving thanks to God. 
Perhaps, perhaps it's because he's facing a challenge. Maybe his body is old and it aches. Or perhaps he's distracted. Maybe his friends have betrayed him. Or perhaps, perhaps he's just lazy. Either way, he's not, his heart is not overflowing with a desire to praise the Lord. So my question for us is, sitting here today, where do you find yourself? Are you facing a challenge? Maybe there are loved ones in your life who are unwell. Maybe you're suffering from the pain of a broken relationship. Maybe you're distracted by work, by business, by the kids, by a girl. Or maybe you're just lazy. And, and it's hard to find the motivation to praise God. David's solution to his lack of desire to praise God is to preach truth to himself. Verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord and don't forget all the good things that he has done for me and that he will continue to do for me. And this brings us to the main question that I want us to consider today. And that is, what are the truths that David chooses to preach to himself? What are the truths that David knows will call out his soul to bless, to praise God. The reason why I really want to look at these is because these are the same truths that we need to be preaching to ourselves every day. These are the same truths that need to be on our lips, on our tongues, day after day. And there are actually so many in this psalm that if I preached them all, it would probably go for like days and weeks. And I know you couldn't handle that, so... (laughs) I'm going to keep it brief and keep it to three things that I think would really serve us well. And the first one is that God does not treat us as we deserve. God does not treat us as we deserve. Look at God's undeserved kindness towards David. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. David says, he's forgiven all my sins and he's healed me from diseases in the past. Who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He bought me. He paid the price for me to redeem me from from the place where the dead go from Sheol. And in addition to that, he's not only redeemed me, he's put a crown on my head. And that crown is his loving kindness towards me. Verse 5, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. His goodness to me restores my youth in my old age and makes me feel like an eagle. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his way known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He has released his people from captivity, even revealing himself to Moses, a murderer, and Israel, a people who continue to forsake him for idols. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so he will not always chide nor keep his anger forever. And now the culmination Verse 10, which we will look at in some depth. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He does not deal with us according to our sins. 
You know, David could see that God was gracious to him, forgiving him of sins that he rightly deserved to be punished for. And so I want to stop and take some time to dwell on this, to dwell on what is it that we deserve. And my hope is that I might encourage us by way of a reminder to remember God's kindness towards us. We first need, I think, to consider that God is a holy God whose wrath burns against all evil and against all sin. So much so that James writes, For whoever keeps the whole law but falls at just one point, he's guilty of breaking the whole thing. God is such a holy God that even one sin voids all the rest. Even one sin makes us fall fall short of his standard of perfection. As the prophet Ezekiel puts it, the soul who sins is the one who will die. Listen with me to John Stott. That God is a holy God is foundational to biblical religion. So is the result that sin is incompatible with his holiness. His eyes are too pure to look on evil, and he cannot tolerate wrong. Therefore, our sins effectively separate us from him so that his face is hidden from us and he refuses to listen to our prayers. In consequence, it was clearly understood by the biblical authors that no human being could ever set eyes on God and live. Moses was permitted to see his back but not his face but even a glimpse of the glory of God, and he couldn't endure it. He hid his face because he was afraid of God. Isaiah had a vision of the Lord enthroned and exalted, but he was overwhelmed by the sense of his uncleanness, and he said, have mercy on me because I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. When God revealed himself to Job, what did Job do? He despised himself. And he repented in dust and ashes. Ezekiel saw only the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord in burning fire and brilliant light, but it was enough to make him fall prostrate on the ground. John, his disciple, saw Jesus Christ ascended in magnificence, and what did he do? He fell on his face as though dead. So here I stand with all my sin. The lies I've told, the people I've hurt, despising the word of the one true God, cursing and spitting in his face. And, you know, how does he respond? He should burn with anger against me. You know, not anger like you or I experience. God's anger is not irrational, it's not bitter fury, but it's sustained, it's continuous, it's settled antagonism against evil. It is caused by evil and it works to destroy all evil. And how would it look like for God to deal with me according to my sin? You know, it would mean my complete and my utter destruction. But verse 10 He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. We stand before God completely guilty, wicked sinner. Am I deserving death? And what is his response? The creator of the universe 
innocent and pure to whom we have sinned takes the wrath that we deserve. That, friends, that is a scandal. He dies the death that we should have died. As R.C. Sproul says, the one from whom we need to be saved is the one who has saved us. We, should, we, we needed to be saved from God, but God instead is the one who takes the penalty we deserve. That is scandalous. And I wanted to tell us a true story to help us to understand the depth of the price that our Savior paid. It would have been already late at night when they left, and and most certainly they would have been tired from walking much of the day. And you can almost see them, lamp in hand, as they make their way along the rough path, away from the city of Jerusalem. And they travelled as far as the base of Mount Olives to a place called Gethsemane. And though the light was dim, it wouldn't have bothered them much. Because they'd been here before. And once they'd reached their usual meeting place, some would sit and relax and tired hands, unwinding, well-worn sandals, backs propped against the old olive trees, some beginning to doze, others talking amongst themselves about the, the night's discussion and making sure that it wouldn't be overheard. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and they walked, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. What could have these three men done but stand in complete silence? Staring at their teacher. Who has ever seen a man distressed even to the point of death? On his brow, beads of perspiration mixed with blood. His breathing is heavy. His face is pale. His knees are quaking. He struggles to stand. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed. Abba, Father, all things are possible from you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And why did Jesus agonize like this? It was not because of weakness. His disciples would would leave prison with backs bleeding, beaten and bruised, yet rejoicing the glory of the privilege of suffering for their Christ, their Messiah. His famous servant, Polycarp, as he stood at the stake, ready to be burned for his faith, for refusing to sacrifice to the emperor, he said this, he said, 80 years I have served him, but then can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? Bring forth what you will. No. Our Saviour trembled because he saw the weight of sin he would bear. He saw the wrath of God he would endure for your sins, for your sake, and so paid for all of your sins in full. And so David can say he doesn't treat us as we deserve and he doesn't repay us for the wrong things that we've done. 
For Jesus, after being mocked and shamed, was crucified on a cross. And amidst the agony of it all, he chose there to stay for your sake. Paid in full. He does not treat us as we deserve. And the truth is, you know, friends, we need to preach this to ourselves. As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed my sins, O Lord. As far as the heavens are from the earth, he's taken away my transgressions. You have not treated me as as I deserve, O Lord. And so I will preach. We need to preach this truth to us. Why? Because if you're anything like me, you're, you're very affected by your emotions. You allow your emotions to dictate to you what is true. Let me, let me tell you uh, an illustration to help make this clear. I'm blessed to receive many things from my dad. And one of the things that I've been blessed to receive from my dad is his genes. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have. And a particular gene that runs in our family is, uh, how would I describe it? Premature graying. And people try to put a positive spin on that. They do. They, you know, they call them silvers. Silver fox is a name that has been thrown around. And uh, it, they're all euphemisms. It's, it's just going grey. And you know, but sometimes I'm aware of the gospel. I'm aware of God's kindness to me. But that can so quickly change, can't it? And you know, all it takes is a handshake. And it, it's just that I'm sure you've experienced this before. It's the misdirected stare. You know, you're shaking their hand, and, you, and they're not looking at your eyes, they're looking at your hair. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, it's the greys, I know. Um, or uh, guys are the worst, actually. It's, it's that conversation that sort of starts, and they're like, oh, Brendan, how's it going? How you doing? And then suddenly stops, whoa, is that, is, that a, is that a silver I see in there? And it's guys just want to touch it. They just want to hold it. It's like, get off that. And so all of a sudden, I've gone from being aware to the gospel, just focused on myself. And suddenly, I'll be walking along, and you know, I'm thinking, oh, what's going on? You know, is it really that bad? And I'm looking for a, you know, a clear piece of glass that I can look in, to, you know, check it to see if it's okay. And, and all of a sudden, my thoughts turn apocalyptic. You know, it's, it's suddenly, I'm picturing the headline in the paper. Half boy, half grandpa, silver fox joins the circus. You know, like, what's going on? And... It's, it's silly, isn't it? You know, nothing's changed from when I was aware of God's kindness to me to, to when I'm freaking out about the way I look. Nothing's changed. I look exactly the same. But what's changed is my, my feelings. And so I've allowed my perception of what is true to be affected by my feelings. We can't allow this can't allow our perception of what is true to be affected by our feelings. And so we need to be a people that preach truth to ourselves. David declares that God had not treated him as he deserved. My second point is that God is a merciful father. That God is a merciful father. Verse 13, As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. 
as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I myself, I I hope one day to be a father, but there's many fathers amongst us today. One that comes straight to mind is Eric Faust. Where is he? Up the back there. Now, Eric, for those who know him, he's a big man, and he's a strong man. Uh, He's a man that loves the Lord. And a picture that I can see just so clearly in my mind is this big, strong man kneeling down on his knees with one of his boys and just in the softest, gentlest voice saying, what's the matter, buddy? What's up, buddy? That's That's a picture of compassion of a father towards his children. Another one is Chris Page. Many of you have been encouraged by the testimony of this man about how God has just done this work in his heart, transforming him completely, him and his wife, Alison, so much, and their children as well. And to see this man speak of the joy of knowing that his children have just put their faith in the Lord, that's, that's, that's the love and joy of a father. And I think of my dad, who's with us today. And I think of the time that I, <laughs> the time that I beat down his favorite tree with my uh, toy lawnmower, even though he told me I shouldn't do it. I went and did it anyway. And I think of the time that I uh, got so mad with my brother that I, I punched a hole straight through my cupboard. It's true. What did I receive from my dad? Uh, Discipline, (laughs) but with compassion, with understanding. Why? It's my dad. He loves me. He cares about me. And to you dads, which of you would not give up everything to help your child if he was in trouble? Would not give up your work? will not give up your money, will not give up your house to protect any one of your children. And do you realize that that is the love of God for us? That God loves us like a father towards his children. In fact, do you realize that that's just a dim reflection of the love of God towards us? That he desires to bless you, that he that he rejoices over you, that he wants to provide for you, to rescue you from danger. More than that, verse 14, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For The wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. He's a father and he's a father that knows our lives are frail. One of the things that I was blessed to learn during the time that I spent in Aceh, in North Sumatra, in Indonesia, was that life is very frail. And many of you will know about Aceh in Indonesia, but Aceh is famous for three things. It's famous for the 30 years of civil war that raged there. It's famous for the people and their passion for Islam. And it's famous for the 170,000 people that were killed in an instant in that place with the Boxing Day tsunami in 2004. 
170,000 people dead. There's like seven mass graves in that place. And the smallest one, the smallest one is about 6,000 people. The biggest one is a football field. And in that place are buried 46,000 people. And those people are mothers, their fathers, their children, their babies, the people with hopes and aspirations just like you, dreams of happiness and success just like you, dead in an instant. Our lives are frail. It's so easy to forget this. Life is brief, and one day you will die. And your kids, your kids, if you have them, or your friends, they will remember you. And your grandkids, they will remember you. Your great grandkids will probably remember you. But will their kids? Will their kids? Soon you'll be forgotten. And the world may forget you, but God will not. He knows your frame and loves you like a father. Let me ask you a question. Are you aware today of God's kindness towards you? Maybe you're overdue for an operation and you're just not sure how it's going to turn out. Maybe you're preparing for exams and you're not sure if you're going to pass them and you feel like a number. Maybe you suffer from a difficult marriage and you're frustrated and you're hurt and you're tired. Maybe you suffer from mental illness and you just feel all alone. God loves you like a father to a child. He knows your frame. He remembers that you are just dust, and so he is full of compassion and mercy towards you. He doesn't give you as you deserve, but shows compassion to those who fear him. My third point is God is everlasting in love. God is everlasting in love. Verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. I was thinking about love a bit this week and a bit just before I came and I thought I'd uh, bring to us a quote from a famous love philosopher. You may have heard him, the great BJ. No? No? The great Bon Jovi. And just, just listen, and if these words ring any bells for some of you. Um, I can't sing a love song like the way it's meant to be. I guess I'm not that good anymore, but that's just me. And I will love you, baby. <laughs> Always. And I'll be there forever. And a day, always. 
I don't know about you, but um, I think uh, the great BJ might have just loved, uh, lied to us a little bit there. Um, he, um, he's getting a little bit old, and I don't think he'll actually always be there for you, um, as much as he'd probably like to lead you to believe that he will be. And, and that's kind of the message that our society even used to tell us, that, that love could be a thing that would last for a long time, that romance would go on and you could be happily ever after. And I don't even know if, if we sort of aspire to that, a lot of people anymore, but this idea of everlasting love, a love that never ends. It's amazing, isn't it? It it really blows your mind. I mean, I remember when my grandparents celebrated 50 years of marriage and and what happens is you get like a letter from the Queen and the Queen writes something like, uh, you know, we are very thankful for your your long-lasting love or, or something like that and and uh, it's, it's really exciting and, you know, people want to take your photo and all that sort of thing. And, and I just remember thinking, geez, 50 years, that's a long time, isn't it? But that's just a blink of an eye compared to God's promise of love to us. Everlasting to everlasting. Do you know what that means? Everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. It means that his love goes, it must go beyond the grave. Everlasting to everlasting. I, I just think for some of us here, like for instance, singles amongst us that maybe just long for a relationship and just feel like loneliness or or shame, or despair. Or I think for some of us married people that maybe have difficult relationships, or people that just had relationships that have been burned and broken and feel hurt, do we realize that God's love for us is everlasting to everlasting, that it will never end? And one day when we're with our Savior, those, those longings and wants will be brought to naught. There'll be just a dim memory in the past because of the love of God towards us. God's love is everlasting to everlasting. But on who? Verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. I think you might, you might be, if you're like me, looking at this list, and I think it'd be easy to, to begin to question and say, how on earth can I fulfill these requirements? Maybe, maybe the love of God is not upon me. And you need to hear that Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of these requirements. Jesus feared God. He knew God perfectly. He is God And so he was full of reverent fear for the name of of the Father, his Father. Jesus kept his covenant. He followed the law of of Moses perfectly, obeying all of the commandments. But more than this, he says to his disciples, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant I make with my blood. And what he means by this is there's a new covenant now between God and his people so that all he requires for you to do is is to repent and believe, to ask for his forgiveness for the wrongs that you have committed and believe in him and you will be saved. Friends, 
God has promised us everlasting love. But that everlasting love is for only for those that put their faith in Jesus. So if you're sitting here today and, and you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus, friend, I'm asking you, come and, come and chat to me. God loves you. He loves you like a father towards his son. His love for you is everlasting to everlasting. And to receive that love, all he asks is you to trust in Jesus. Lest you face his wrath for you. But if you're trusting in Jesus, then the steadfast love of, Lord, of the Lord is upon you. And it's upon you forever and ever. And so David praises him. He says, verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David's solution to his lack of desire to praise God is to preach the truth to himself. That God does not treat him as he deserves. That God is compassionate and loving like a father. And that God's love is everlasting to everlasting. And my hope is that we would be a people with God's praises always on our lips. Because regardless of how we feel, God is worthy of our praise.